I had an English professor in university who she liked to tell us as we studied all these various poems and readings and such. And she would say, if you can ask this, the question, what in society brought forth this story? What was going on in the history that inspired this story? So if we were studying Jane Eyre, or if we were studying Pride and Prejudice, she wanted to also look at the history that was going on behind that story and what inspired the writer to write what she did. And then from there, we would then bring it into you know today and say, okay, how does this story apply to our lives, or does it apply to our lives? And the Bible, in many ways, is no different. In fact, the Bible tends to take on a whole new meaning when we look at the history behind the prophecies or the stories that we're reading. Once we understand the hardships that the people endured or were going through when something was inspired and written down or told. And the SDA Bible Commentary says that when studying the prophecies of Ezekiel and Amos and Habakkuk and Joel and so on and so forth, with the exception of some of the prophecies in Daniel, that there's four things that they encourage people to do. So first they say examine the whole prophecy. What was the, who was the intended audience? And what circumstance called forth that prophecy? Secondly, what were the conditions of the prophecy, if any, and were they met? So for example, many times when we're looking at various prophecies in the Old Testament, God will say, I want to do all this great stuff for you with the condition that you obey me. And then was it met? Oftentimes not. Third, what do later inspired writers have to say? So when we look at the New Testament or when we read the spirit of prophecy, what do those writers have to say about that prophecy? And fourth, remember the record of God's dealings in the past, that it was for the benefit of those of us living today. So looking at that and saying, okay, what can we draw from it? And so today I want to travel back in time to a place that was filled with destruction. There was a lot of sadness and there was a lot of despair and discouragement and hopelessness. And it doesn't sound like a nice place, but the fact was that this was the place that these people were living in the year 597 BC. Many people that called the, North, or the southern kingdom of Judah home, specifically Jerusalem, were living in an absolute chaotic mess. See, the Bible tells us that under the kingship of Jehoiakim, the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar had come in and they had besieged the place. And they had, in 2 Kings 24, 14, it says that he, Nebuchadnezzar, marches off with many of these people, being the aristocrats, the king and his family, uh, many of the soldiers, so the wealthier people, and he takes them back to Babylon, and he leaves the poor people behind. And so, I mean, people are discouraged. They're saying, they're asking themselves, where is God? Why isn't he doing something? But God had not forgotten or forsaken his people. He sends three prophets, Jeremiah, He's the prophet that's left in Jerusalem, and he continues to minister to the people there. Secondly, Daniel is among those also taken, and he goes and he's ministering within Nebuchadnezzar's court. And then third is the man that we're going to focus on today. He's a prophet, a man that is called to be a prophet around 25 years old in the year 597 BC as well. And he gets to prophesy to these rich leaders that have been taken out of their homeland and are now stuck in Babylon feeling discouraged and despair and asking themselves why why is God allowing this where is God 
and he ministers to them. And so the Bible says that this man stands by the river Shabar in Babylon and he receives his first vision. And he relays this vision to those men and still nothing happens. And he receives many more visions over the course of the next few years and still nothing happens. You can imagine he would be getting discouraged. And so in the year 570 BC, Ezekiel receives another vision. And by this time, Nebuchadnezzar has already returned to Jerusalem. He has destroyed the temple. He has destroyed the walls. He has destroyed the homes. He has destroyed the buildings. And so now the situation has gone from bad to even worse. Meanwhile, Ezekiel stands in Babylon, and he has another vision. So if we can look at that vision, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is one of those visions where I read it as a child, and I thought it was one of the coolest visions I had ever read. It's one of the strangest. So, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. And I'll just wait a moment. So Ezekiel begins his vision, and it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. So right away we get the sense that battles were often fought in valleys. So a battle has been fought, someone has lost, and the, this, this valley is full of bones, it says. Continuing in verse 2, He led me all around them, there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. Well, this idea of very dry bones means that these bones, well, it denotes the, the hopelessness of the situation, that these bones could ever be anything more than dry bones. See, as bones sit out in a hot sun, and the sun bakes them, they become hard as rock. And these bones were very dry, it says. So it leads to this, this idea of hopelessness. Look at verse 11. So Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of who? Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. So of course, this is the situation within Israel. They are likened to these, these bones. They are dead. In the sense that they are dry. Their hearts have become cold and calloused towards God. But something strange begins to happen in verse 3. And in verse 3 it says, God says, Mortal, can these bones live? And I responded, O Lord, you know. And I love his response there. He doesn't say, no God, this is an impossibility. He doesn't say, you know, yes God, this will happen. He just simply says, you know God, you know. And so in verses 4 through 6, we continue reading. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." Prophesy to these bones. Now, if somebody said to you, I want you to prophesy to a valley full of dry bones, what would you say? Who's going to listen? Exactly. 
I, I would probably say, okay, God, you want me to talk to these dry bones? I might as well go in the forest and talk to a bunch of trees. You know, they're not going to listen. They have no ears right now. I would begin to look at the hopelessness in the situation as well. And this is exactly how I'm sure Ezekiel was looking at Israel. He's looking at Israel and they are likened to these dry bones. And Ezekiel has been prophesying to them for years now. And they're still not repenting. They're still not getting it. They're still not alive. They're still not listening. Did they even hear God's voice trying to cause that recreation in their life? That revival? And within these verses, verses 4 through 6, we see the exact same twofold creation process that we see in Genesis 2, verse 7, where God first forms man out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathes that life into him. And that's what God wants to do with Israel at this point. He wants to form them. He wants to breathe that life back into them, and he wants them to live. But they're like dry, dead bones. And God wants them to know that he is God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He wants to see these people thrive again. But I want to pause here for a second as we read. See, literal, literal Israel, Israel that we were just talking about, eventually did go back to Jerusalem. And they eventually did rebuild those walls. And it seemed like for a time they began to accept God somewhat. But then when Christ came, they nailed him to a cross. And so in Romans 9, chapters 9 through chapters 11, Paul begins to paint this picture to the church in Rome saying, you know, there has been a shift from literal Israel to what is now known as spiritual Israel. And that encompasses all of us today as well. And so in Romans 11, verse 5, Paul says, So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. So, I mean, Israel had been that remnant. God had chosen them. And now Paul is saying there's a new remnant chosen by grace. And he goes on to say in verse 15 of Romans 11, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And I love that because here he's referring to the fact that literal Israel had turned its back on God and their rejection of God had actually ended up being the reconciliation of the world. And so if any Jew or Gentile, he's saying, accepts God, it would be but life from the dead, which is amazing. So here we stand today, before a valley of dry bones. Perhaps we look at the impossibilities that surround us. Perhaps we look at family members who are no longer in the church or who have no interest, who look at us and say, you're crazy. You're crazy for going to church on Sabbath. I have a whole slew of them on my dad's side. My own brother just wants nothing to do with, with God. My best friend wants nothing to do with God. She grew up believing. And you, we look at these people and we say, is there any hope? Or perhaps we look at those who have been, it feels like taking forever to make a decision for Christ, and we ask, is there any hope? Or perhaps we look at the masses of young people that seem to be running out of our churches, and we ask ourselves, is there any hope? We look at those who are half in and half out, and we ask the same question over and over and over and over and over and over again. Or perhaps for us today, we feel like something is missing. Maybe we feel like we're just a bunch of dry bones sitting there today. And we stare at this impossibility as we stand before this valley that doesn't just have a few dry bones, but is filled 
with dry bones, filled to the brim. And we look at these bones, and we see the impossibility of the mission before us. It was full of bones, says Ezekiel, and they were very dry. So in other words, their hearts had become hardened. They had made a decision, and it seemed like nothing could change that decision. Nothing could ever bring them back. And God asks Ezekiel, will they ever live again? And Ezekiel says, oh God, you know. Those words are so deep. Because where I look and I see an impossibility, God looks and he sees a possibility. Where I look and I see hardened hearts that will never have life again, God looks and he sees life. And where we see old dry bones, God sees living beings. Oh God, you know. Those words are deep. And so God says in verses 4 through 6, which we just read, what he wants to do, he says, I want to reform these people. I want to breathe my breath into these people. And I want them to know that I am the Lord. But there's a catch. See, God sees these bones as living beings. He sees them standing before him as a vast army. But first, Ezekiel has to do something. And so we look in verses 7 through 8. And Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them yet. So something begins to happen, but it happens when what? What does Ezekiel have to do? <clears throat> he has to prophesy to them. And it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. And I prophesied to them as I had been commanded. Mortal prophesy. And it's as he's talking to these bones that something begins to happen. Now to prophesy means to say a specific thing, to say a specified thing, or to sing a specified thing. It means to reach out, it means to be involved. Ezekiel was not merely to stand there looking at this hopeless situation, all these dry bones, and simply say, well, that's nice. He was to be an active agent in speaking to these bones, even though it looked impossible. Were they even going to listen? To borrow a quote I read, it says, to leave sinners on the path to destruction is not an option for the sincere Christian. And this, of course, does not mean that I'm going to go out there and just start bashing people over the head with, you know, what I know. But it does mean that we need to form those relationships with people. We need to speak to them. We need to be involved. It doesn't mean that I'm going to sit there and I'm going to judge the situation and say, okay, I see a valley full of dry bones. It's an impossibility. I'm not going to judge that situation. Because God knows something that I do not know. Oh, Lord God, you know. You know. But we do have to get involved. That means I have to pray for these people. That means I have to form a relationship with these people. That means I have to ask them, do you want to go out for coffee? Do you want to meet up? I still want to be involved in your life, even though you have said, I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with God. I still need to be involved with you. And I mean, we look at our own churches, and sometimes our own churches can seem like like valley of dry bones in and of themselves. But we need to check in with one another. We need to, to constantly be saying, throughout the week especially, how are you doing? How are things? 
It's not just a matter of coming to church on Sabbath and then just going our own ways, but we need to become a family. We need to become joined and really care about each other. God did not ask Ezekiel to fix these bones. God didn't say, Ezekiel, I want you to hop in that pit and I want you to figure out where the skulls are and where the tibias and the fibias are and I want you to figure out where the clavicle is and just start putting them back together. God didn't ask Ezekiel to do that. He did not ask Ezekiel to fix it. He said, prophesy life to these bones. So while we're maintaining those relationships, while we're reaching out there and we're becoming connected, while we're praying for these people, while we're prophesying or we're speaking to them, taking an interest in their life, even though we're not sure that they're hearing us, while we're doing that, something begins to happen. God begins to do the unexpected. Suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. Something began to happen. God was working a miracle. But what would have happened if Ezekiel had sat back and he had said, you know what, this is indeed hopeless. Or he'd done it for a few minutes and then said, nah, it's not worth my time. And then he'd simply walked off. Thank God he never gives up on us. He never gives up on anybody. God desires that each and every one of us would be saved. And something even more spectacular is the fact that God wants us to be involved in that process. Why does he want us to be involved? Because as we're involved, and as we begin to see that rattling of bones coming back together, and we begin to see life coming back into somebody, our own faith is strengthened. And we begin to see just how amazing our God is. So life begins to come back into us as well. But there was something still missing. These bones still weren't breathing. There was no breath in them. And of course we know that there is no life without breath, right? And so Ezekiel realizes this and he says, but there's no breath in them. So I mean, there's been a rattling, they've come back together, flesh has come upon them, but there's still no life. They're still devoid of that life. And so an interesting thing here happens in the Hebrew that the English language doesn't quite capture. In verse 1, it had read, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out by the ruach of the Lord, which is the Hebrew word for spirit. Well, when we read about there was no breath in me, there was no ruach in me. So again, that same Hebrew word is used, ruach. It's translated as spirit or breath. So these bones have no ruach in them. They have no breath. They have no spirit. And I can come to church week after week. And I can sit there, fully formed, human, but have no ruach in me. And I'm not talking about breath, actual breath. Obviously, we have breath in us. But I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit. And if we're lacking that, then we may feel like a pile of dry bones. And I've been there. I've felt like that. Where we just feel lifeless. And this is true in every aspect of our life. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us life. We need the Holy Spirit when we're involved in reaching out to other people because only that Spirit can work in the lives of those people. Only God's Spirit can bring about a change in a person that can take them from being a hopeless pile of dry bones in a valley and make them a living, breathing, 
human being. And so in verses 9 through 10, again, God says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come up from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as I had been commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and they stood on their feet, a great army. That would have been simply amazing to have witnessed in vision. <laughs> and they stood before him, a great army. And again, Ezekiel had to be part of that, pro- that, that process. Ezekiel prophesied again. He was still involved. He was still working. And something began to happen. They began to breathe. Life had come back into them. And that's what God wanted to see with Israel so desperately. And that's what God wants to see with you and me and all those people out there today. He wants to see that life, that Holy Spirit coming into us. Because God's Spirit alone revives. And they stood before him a vast multitude. There's a pile of dry bones out there waiting. Sometimes it can seem like our churches are, are aging and maybe they're, they're getting empty. And we ask, where are the people? Where are they going to come from? And in Joel 3, verse 14, it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. They're out there. They're in the valley. And maybe it seems like a pile of dry bones. When I look at my family on the one side, it seems like a pile of dry bones. It seems like an impossibility. Yet God is still working. Perhaps... We're sitting there looking at ourselves today and we're going, you know what, I feel like a pile of dry bones. But God is still working. We need his spirit. More than that, as our scripture reading said today in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, So if anyone is in who? Christ. They are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So how do we become that new, living, breathing person again? We need to be in Christ, which means we need to have that relationship with him. We need to cling to him and work on that and ask him for his breath, his Holy Spirit, to come into us and cause that revival, not only in our own lives, but in our churches and out there as well. Within each one of us, our bones play an important part in the overall function of our body. They provide a frame for us. Without it, I would just be a pile of mush. They protect vital organs such as our hearts, our kidneys, our lungs, etc. They produce the blood that is used by our body. And whether you walk or run, our muscles and our skeleton, they're working together to cause that movement. The ancients saw the bones of a person as representing the very life of that person. But they also understood that the bones, although they do all these great things for us, the bones without that life, without ruach, are just simply a pile of bones. So it is my prayer that each and every one of us experience God's spirit working in our lives. And as we begin to work on that relationship with Christ and continue to work on that relationship with Christ, and we begin to become filled with that spirit, that we can reach out and start to share that because we can't share something we do not possess. And maybe we become a church that checks in with each other. And even though sometimes it seems like we're all a pile of old dry bones, 
may we start to work together to reach out. And it is through that that God begins the work of transformation, revival, and a new life in him. May we never give up in reaching out, even in what appears to be a hopeless situation. Because for with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen.